Hi, I'm Andrea. And I'm Claudia. And we are the Judgy Crime Girls. Hello and welcome. Hi, welcome. Welcome to our first episode of Criminal Currents. We are so excited. We have been talking about this for a while, (laughs) busting out a summer series, and here it is for you. Yeah, it's funny you say that, because actually in my Facebook memory, it came across our summer series we had our very first year, and that was the Seven Deadly Sins. So now on my Facebook memory, Joe Metheny just came across that I reposted from our Facebook page. I just thought that was funny. I'm like, oh, yeah, I forgot about Seven Deadly Sins. And then, you know, we had National Parks creep us out. Yeah. Oh, man, Joe Metheny. That is so funny. (laughs) He turned everyone into hamburgers. Oh, gross. And And he he was was so disgusting looking. So gross. That's so funny that that popped up. Yeah, I forgot about that completely. That was a lot of fun. Yeah, that was fun. So this summer, we have our criminal currents. And these are all cases just involving water In some way, some shape or form, they are just for the summer. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Home. Yes. I saw when I was just, you know, searching the internet, did you hear about the child that was found because of Netflix? (gasps) What? No. Unsolved Mysteries. What? News. Found six years after being kidnapped from the Unsolved Mysteries TV show on Netflix. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. Her name is Kayla Yuna Bahan, who in 2017, she was taken. And it's just so awesome how a show like that can bring her back home. So we have a little bit of a, I don't want to call it a TikTok series, but, you know, missing women or unidentified victims are just very near and dear to my heart. And I started reposting their reconstructed faces and descriptions of the women on TikTok. And it's not because of our TikTok series, but I just read an update that Interpol has gotten over 200 tips from family members that think maybe that was my daughter, my sister, my aunt. I thought that was amazing. Is that Project Identify Me? Yes. Is that what that is? Yes. That's so awesome. I love that. Oh, me too. And these are just cases from Germany, Netherlands, and Belgium. And I was so happy the other day when I read about that they have gotten 200 phone calls, tips. So hopefully some of these women or all of these women will get their name back. I think that is so, so cool how they can reconstruct faces. Yeah. I think that's so neat. Yeah, interesting. I, I don't know how they do that, but I was happy to read that. That is so cool. I love it. So kicking off our summer series, what you got for us today? So speaking of unsolved mysteries, yes, this case I'm going to tell you about first aired on Unsolved Mysteries on August 9th, 2002. And it is about the disappearance of Colleen Wood. Okay. 
So Colleen was a 52-year-old mom of two grown children from Dayton, Ohio. In 1998, Colleen's job at the hospital had downsized and she lost her job. She was falling on hard times when she made the decision to move to Florida for a fresh start. Colleen was described as being very adventurous and had always wanted to move somewhere new. She told her sons, Michael and Todd, that she was finally going to live out her dream and move. She was excited, and they were excited for her. It didn't take long for Colleen to make new friends in Fort Lauderdale. She became an office manager at the Lighthouse Point Marina. Her boss, who was also her friend Maureen, said everyone called Colleen the Marina Mom, and everyone just adored her. Oh, the Marina Mom. The Marina Mom. Colleen wasn't looking for love when she moved down there, but she found it after she answered an ad in the newspaper for a sailing companion. The ad was put out by a 62-year-old named John Lee Paul Sr., a former race car driver and Wall Street wizard. She was impressed with his credentials. He told her he had an MBA from Harvard, and in the racing circle, he was very famous. He was also said to be wealthy due to his success in the ownership of a mutual fund company. Within a few months of their first date, Colleen and John had become inseparable. He went from giving her flowers and a diamond bracelet to taking her on a fabulous trip to Europe. Aww. So one evening after an intimate dinner, Colleen shared some of her dreams, things and wants that she wanted in life with John, and one of her dreams was to sail around the world for five years. She was surprised and thrilled when John suggested they make the trip together aboard his 50-foot boat called Island Girl. So within a few weeks, she sold her condo in Boca Raton and entrusted John with investing the net proceeds, which was about $43,000, because he was a Wall Street wizard, remember? Mm-hmm. She also sold her car, and a short time later, she moved in with him aboard the boat and then quit her job. He told her that she could work as his own personal assistant. Her friend Maureen and the owner of the Lighthouse Point Marina was pretty shocked when Colleen said she was leaving. Maureen was concerned about Colleen selling all of her assets to take the trip. And Colleen told her that while she understood the risks, she felt it was worth it because she had been wanting to take this trip all her life. That's all she wanted. She said that it might be the only chance for her to do it. In August of 2000, Michael, Colleen's son, met John for the first time. Michael later said John was nice, but very reserved. Michael also took notice that John always, always had a drink in his hand, but he didn't think too much of it because, I don't know, I guess you're on the boat and you always have a drink in your hand. Okay. Michael was concerned when his mom sold all her assets, but he said Colleen told him that she could make her own decision. Colleen's friends were concerned as well. 
They met John and knew how charming he could be. They thought John was very persuasive and knew it was his idea for Colleen to sell all her stuff, and they just wanted to be happy for her, and they were. So on Sunday, December 3rd, 2000, Michael called Colleen to wish her a happy birthday. He said she seemed like her usual happy self, and she just kept going on about some presents she was going to send her grandchildren. Colleen told Michael that when she and John docked in Key West, she would send the presents and some of her financial records to him. Colleen also told Michael that she was going to disconnect her phone service soon and would contact him in a few weeks. On Friday, December 15th, 2000, Maureen called Colleen to invite her to the marina's annual Christmas party. Colleen said they'd be there, but she never showed up. Why would she have her phone disconnected? I don't know. I don't like that. If you're out to sea, would you need to pay for a service you're not getting? I wouldn't get rid of my number, I guess. Like, no, true. Because when you come back, yeah, you can just reinstate your service. Right. So a few weeks later, Michael was mm, confused about not receiving any of the mail that Colleen said she would send him. He wasn't too concerned yet, per se, because, you know, U.S. Post Office. Yeah. They're Ugh. terrible. They're the worst. And I think they were even bad in 2000. He was really worried in mid-January. He notified the Coast Guard to be on the lookout for the Island Girl, which is their boat, Michael also started contacting everyone Colleen would have been in contact with. He discovered that Colleen's phone service was disconnected due to lack of payment, but he didn't have John's number to call. Michael did what all concerned family would do. He turned to the Internet and Googled John Paul Sr., and he found out some (gasps) shocking things about John. Yeah, John is a shithead. Oh, no. When Michael searched Paul online, he found that Paul indeed had been a race car driver, but that he had a criminal background. He had actually just been released from prison only months before he met Colleen, and he was arrested for drug smuggling, money laundering, and attempted first-degree murder. Oh, my gosh. And to know he is out there with your mom on a boat. On a boat. I'm going to tell you about John real quick. On April 19, 1983, John ambushed a man named Stephen Carson. Stephen had turned John in for smuggling drugs from Columbia to Louisiana, and Stephen received immunity in return for his testimony. Stephen was shot in the back, kidney, and leg, but fortunately he survived. John was given a 20-year sentence, and in 1983, John fled the United States to avoid trial. But in January of 85, so two years later, he was arrested in Geneva, Switzerland. In 1987, he was actually convicted of attempted first-degree murder and conspiracy. What was he arrested for in Switzerland? Who knows what he was arrested for? Okay. I yeah. don't know. Maybe they were looking for him, and finally Switzerland is like, we have him. 
We'll send him back. I like that. He was sentenced to 20 years in prison to serve his conviction. He served 15 years of that. While in prison, he allegedly tried to escape by squirting chemicals into the eyes of a corrections officer. Oh, I have not heard of that. Well, how do you get out, though, by squirting one officer? Yeah, I don't know. You would have to make a giant run for it. Yeah. And be prepared to attack all the other ones. Exactly. He was paroled in 1999, and that's when he met Colleen about less than a year (gasps) later. That is terrifying. Well, and his plan to sail around the world was actually a direct violation of his parole. (laughs) So he's like, I don't care. I don't need no stinking parole. Wow. Well, to say the least, Michael, Colleen's son, was shocked and angry. He blamed himself for not seeing through John's lies, for not knowing what kind of man his mom was with. Man, I feel terrible for that kid. Oh, he felt just awful, and he was so mad. So Michael was ready to get answers, but he wasn't sure how or where to start. So he started by calling the Dayton, Ohio police and asked who he should call. They told him he needed to find Colleen's last known address. Michael found that Colleen's last known address was a mailing center that she and John had registered to pick up their mail, but they haven't picked up their mail in months. So Michael filed a missing persons report with the Fort Lauderdale police, and they were not very helpful. And they said there was no evidence of any crime being committed. No, no body, no crime, I guess. Three days later, though, Detective Mark Shotwell of the Fort Lauderdale PD contacted Michael and wanted to help him. So thank you, Detective Shotwell. He was the only one that cared. Oh, well, it's so hard. I mean, they both willingly left right and took off on this boat how are you supposed to prove true anyone is in trouble i guess when nobody hears from you yeah when detective shotwell was searching for any leads or signs of john and the boat he realized that colleen john and the boat all disappeared like there was no record of them anywhere oh But John was about to return, though. But just John. Oh, no. On a Tuesday, April 24th, 2001, Michael received a phone call from John at 7 a.m. John told Michael he didn't know where Colleen was. He said he last saw her when she stormed off the boat after a big fight they had. He said she came back days later to collect her things. And from there, he has no idea where she went. Michael said John seemed kind of really blasé about it, and he didn't care about his mom and the fact that she was missing. It was kind of like, well, mm-hmm. she left my boat. It's out of my hands. So the next day, John's boat was found 50 miles from Key West, but John now was missing again. Of course. But he resurfaced on April 30th in 2001. Well, actually, Detective Shotwell found him. He told John he was looking into the disappearance of Colleen, and John said that he had just gotten back from a trip to Europe and told the detectives the same story he told Michael. However, he added that he and Colleen had been fighting over money. Supposedly, he had loaned her money, and she just 
refused to pay him back. She left the boat and came back to collect her things, and that was the last time he saw her. And the police didn't have any evidence to arrest John for anything. <gasps> they just didn't have anything against him. Oh, that is so scary. Well, John disappears again. The police did learn that John had violated his parole and he hadn't been showing up for his visits with his parole officer. The police were able to obtain a warrant for John's arrest for parole violation. But by then it was too late. He was gone. Like nobody knew where he went. So the police needed to determine when Colleen disappeared. So they obtained a warrant for her phone and financial records, as well as John's. They found that Colleen's last calls were made on December 15th, the same day that Maureen called her to invite her to the Christmas party. Yeah. Maureen told the police that Colleen had told her she was in Key West at the time, and Maureen also told the police that she was receiving calls about Colleen's credit cards. And Maureen told the credit card companies that Colleen didn't work at the marina anymore. And they do that when you apply for a credit card. You also have to put your work information in there because when you're past due and they can't reach you at your home, they will call you at work. Yeah. In case anybody is wondering why credit card companies would call the marina, but that is why. The police did find Colleen's record very odd. Colleen had the same spending pattern up until December 18th. There were many different withdrawals from different locations. The police wanted to look at the surveillance cameras to see if Colleen could still be maybe hopefully alive. Michael, Colleen's son, was in constant contact with Detective Shotwell, and he flew down to Fort Lauderdale right away after he found out about his mom's credit cards being used at ATMs. He wanted to see the surveillance footage for himself to make sure that was his mom. When they looked at the videos from the ATMs, they realized it was not Colleen. The footage showed two different women making the withdrawals. Oh, my gosh. The police were able to quickly identify the women and question them. They told the police that a man asked them to withdraw different amounts at different ATMs, and he would give them 10 to 20% of that amount, whatever they're you know, they'd take out. Yeah. And the man, of course, was none other than John Paul. Oh, my goodness. Wow. Michael said that Colleen had made copies of her credit cards and PIN numbers, and that there were copies on her computer, which was most likely still on the boat. And that's how he obtained her PIN numbers Okay, for her cards. Wow. Well, John was not one to sit still. He had been putting out more ads in the newspaper for a romantic partner and travel companion as early as December 15th when he was still with Colleen. <gasps> yeah, what? he put out ads. It is so weird to me that people do that. Well, back then, that was like plenty of fish or eHarmony or whatever. In 2000? At the time, he was 62 years old. He was probably old school. Okay. Oh, yeah. I'm thinking. Yeah, so. that is kind of old school. I could see that. Yeah. And okay. she was in her early 50s. Gotcha. John was still missing. The Fort Lauderdale police contacted multiple federal agencies to flag John's passport and to search for the boat. 
Throughout the years, there have been multiple sightings of John. He was spotted in Montego Bay, Jamaica, and in 2004, he was seen in Fiji. But Fiji doesn't have an extradition law. He had also been spotted around Asia and Europe. The police were contacted by a woman who had been on John's boat, and she was kind of suspicious of him, and I don't know why, but she made a connection that John was involved with Colleen's disappearance, and she took Colleen's computer off the boat and gave it to Detective Shadwell in Fort Lauderdale. The last anyone has ever heard from John was in 2009, but in 2011, he was seen in Thailand, and he was planning to sell his boat and open a dive shop. And that's all we know. Wow. Yeah, will Colleen's case ever be solved? Who knows? That sounds insane. Like her body was never found. She Mm -mm. just disappeared. Disappeared. But let me tell you something real quick about John. When I looked into John Paul, Colleen is not his first victim. Paul was actually born Johann Landerd. Powell and Paul emigrated to the United States from the Netherlands in 1956 with his family settling in Muncie, Indiana. Oh, he then legally changed his name to John Lee Paul and his wife Shalise went missing in the summer of 1981. Uh, She was 32 years old, and they actually got married the year before in 1980. She vanished in Key West, Florida during the summer of 1981. Chalice was actually cast to be in the Burt Reynolds movie, Sharky's Machine. (gasps) which was being filmed in Atlanta in the summer of 1981. So John flew to Atlanta to pay her a visit and persuaded her to go with him on a quick second honeymoon to Key West before filming started. She was last seen alive boarding a plane to go to Florida from Atlanta. Oh, my goodness. And she remains missing. And Paul is actually still considered a suspect in her disappearance. Wow. There is a theory that John was verbally abusive to Colleen, especially when he drank. And he drank a lot, apparently. It was also said that he was greedy and he wanted her money, so he killed her. And they think maybe that Colleen was going to leave him. Maybe she caught on to something or found out something about him. Or he was abusive and wanted to leave. She wasn't going to put up with it any longer. And who knows what he did with her. So that was just so interesting, especially the ties back to Muncie. How long did it take for him to convince her to sell everything and go on his boat? It was just within months. Oh, I don't think it was long. I guess it was kind of a whirlwind romance. They fell for each other right away and hard, or she fell for him mm-hmm. right away. I mean, she was smitten right away. She loved Like I said, his credentials, like he's an educated man, and she just loved that about him. He was sophisticated. He spoiled her. I hope one day Colleen's family, especially her sons, get the answers they need, they deserve. Yeah, me too. That's really, really sad that she just is gone, and there is no, no answers. Nothing. Well, thank you for sharing. 
Well, thank you for listening. Yes. If you're interested in some deep dive content with us for um, more episodes, you can definitely become a subscriber to Judgy After Dark. And our link we'll be putting on all of our socials and our website as well. So uh, we look forward to rolling that out very soon. Hanging out with you after dark. We'd love to have you there. It's going to be a lot of fun. And we'll definitely do a shout out. Shout out on the show. Yes. And there'll be merch discounts as well. And it's going to be a lot of fun. So we hope to see you after dark. Thanks for listening. Stay sassy. Stay judgy. And stay tuned in with the Judgy Crime Girls every Wednesday. We'll see you soon. Okay, love you. Bye. Bye. Well, in 2000, do we have cell phones? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) That wasn't that long ago. That's 23 years ago. Shut up. That was when I graduated high school. Oh, my God. That was a long time ago. (laughs) Ha, 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 ha.